Here in, in chapter 15, Paul is not making a blanket statement about humanity. Paul does not know you personally. So it's not a personal statement. Paul is making a theological statement, a statement about God and who he is and his work. Because Paul knows God. Are you tracking with me? Paul is convinced that because of the message of good news, the gospel message, that all who believe, all those believers, all those who put their trust in God, it's a theological statement, not a human statement, not a statement about humanity. Because of God's incredible salvation, all those who put their trust in him, all those who put their trust in him, all those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, all those who believe that God is God over all, including their sinfulness and their eternal life, all of those who are strong in faith are full of goodness and knowledge to teach. What? What? What just happened? I grouped you in with Paul as believers. Paul spent the first 11 chapters explaining the goodness of God's salvation that is in baptizo, the believer, right? Baptizo, what did he just say? That we are immersed in, that, that God is in us and we are in God and it's all, all pickled together. The goodness of God saturated in the believer. So he spends the first 11 chapters talking about the goodness of God present through salvation, present in the believer. Therefore, therefore, because of this great salvation by faith, as believers who are strong in faith, it stands to reason that Paul is convinced, not because he knows you, but because he knows God, that you and I are full of God's goodness and we are full of a knowledge of the good news to the degree that we are completely able to, of teaching or admonishing one another. Well, Brent, I didn't go to Bible school. Well, I'll tell you a secret. I went to Bible school and got a degree in business. No, it's not a badump chink that's... That's the truth. Some of you are like, well, that explains some things, Brent. <laughs> Paul's making this statement not on, not on your background in Bible school or mine or whatever. He's making the statement based on the previous 15 chapters that he just told us about. So he's saying just because of all that he's already explained, he's going to get into it in a minute. I'm going to have to go back, and I'm way ahead of myself. But because of all that he's explained, guess what, sweetheart? You have the knowledge to teach one another. That's fantastic. Now, you may be tempted to say, well, Brent, that's just really not me. My gift is not teaching. That's your gift and blah, 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 blah. In verses 2, the two verses, uh, verse 13 and verse 14, the two verses that we've read so far, he's by the presence and the power <laughs> And I want to say by the pickling, because I guess the baptism idea in there, of the Holy Spirit, by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, those whose faith is in Jesus, they are completely filled and overflowing with joy, is the first thing that he mentions in verse 13, peace, confident hope. Are you getting this? Some of you should write this down. What are we full of? Joy, peace, 
confident hope. Brent, do you not read the newspapers or listen to the news? Read the news. What is a newspaper? Do you not pay attention to the news? Confident hope. We are filled with confident hope. In fact, we are so full of God's goodness and knowledge of the good news that we are fully, every believer is fully capable of teaching it to others. That's what the text says. You okay? Yeah. This is important because it's not somebody else's job. It's the believer's job. Why? Because of the presence of God in the believer. I thought we had to have that gift. No. thought we had to be called. I'm going to get there in a minute. The effect of salvation. The effect of salvation. The effect of the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in you is you will be full of goodness and knowledge of the salvation of salvation so that you can't help but share it with other people. I'm going to read that again because I was daydreaming while I was reading it. I was thinking of one Wednesday night, somebody very kindly, they said, I like your preaching because you repeat yourself a lot just in different ways. And then I remember it. I, didn't, I don't do that intentionally. I just figure I have one good point and I'm just going to wear it out. So, so if you're thinking I'm repeating myself, it's because we need to hear this. The effect of salvation, because we like to know that we have salvation. The effect of salvation, the effect of the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in you, is you will be full of goodness and knowledge of the salvation, of God's salvation, so that you can't help but to share it with other people. This little vessel, full of the fullness of God, it's going to leak out in places, right? It's like when you make your burrito too full and it falls out the ends. Okay, now you're with me. Give us a food picture, Brent. Yeah, you know, you start with just a little meat and then a little cheese and then a little lettuce, a little tomato, a little salsa, a little sour cream. Now you're trying to fold and overflowing. There's a mental image here that you need to be seeing. The believer, the tortilla, I mean the vessel that God has chosen to inhabit. The believer, are you with me? The vessel that God, the God from Genesis 1, in the beginning God said, let there be light, that God, Elohim, that God. The believer, the vessel that God has chosen to inhabit is so full of the presence of God that the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of the gospel that it cannot be contained it overflows in Psalm 23 we read we blow through this and we don't really pay attention to what's going on because there's a lot of things going on but in Psalm 23 it's a familiar chapter whenever I start reading it you're going to recognize it but in verses 5 and 6 he deals with this whole overflowing thing he says you prepare for me a feast in the presence of my enemies and we're all like, oh, yay, we're going to eat. That's wonderful. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. That's an Old Testament throw to uh, the Holy Spirit saturating us. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. And then he says, David, he says, my cup overflows with blessings. 
He's talking about, well, he's saying this even before there's the salvation that you and I get to experience. David doesn't even, all he has is a snapshot of what we live in. And he's understanding this whole principle of my cup overflows with blessing. Well, Brent, what does that look like? Well, it looks like being so full of joy and peace and confident hope and goodness and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation in our lives that it just overflows out of us. And then he says, and I added this just because it's good, not because it necessarily ties anything together. But verse 6 says, surely... Because David understands his confidence in the Lord, in, in God. Surely your goodness, surely your unfailing love, this is why I like the New Living Translation, will pursue me. Some of y'all are running really, really fast. God's, David says, surely. God's goodness and his unfailing love is going to chase after me all the days of my life. And then he says, I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is a personal event worth telling other people about, about sharing with other people. We have uh, many non-biblical ideas of ministry. See, I try to outguess where you guys are going to be mentally while I'm speaking, and I'm guessing that some of you are thinking, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not in ministry. I don't do that. I'm not paid. I'm not, I don't have a position. We have many non-biblical ideas about what ministry is, one of which is that you must be called to ministry in order to do ministry. What I am convinced of Actually, what our text says today is that those who are strong in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are strong in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are by nature so full and overflowing with God's goodness and gospel understanding that just by the nature of God in them, ministry happens. God's goodness spills over hope and joy and peace, and it infects those who are present around us. You okay? I like the way you're looking at me. Are you sure, Brent? It's obvious you didn't go to Bible school. <laughs> it's a different matter of it's not, pardon me, it's not a matter of whether you want to have an eternal impact on others. It's a matter of fact. It's not a matter of whether, you, whether or not you want to have an, internal, an eternal impact on other people. When eternity is stuffed into your little vessel, it's a matter of fact that you will have an influence on other people. It is a state of being. That's good. Those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus by the nature of life transforming salvation will be filled with joy, peace, hope, goodness, and knowledge to the degree that it will overflow. The presence of God in you that we've been talking about through all of Romans will show through you. In the course of conversations, by your actions, by your attitudes, 
You don't have to have a sermon and an outline. The title and three points or four points. The presence of God in you will show through you by the course of your conversations, by your actions, by your attitudes. Those around you will experience the goodness of God and the knowledge of his perfect salvation. I'm not offering this as an opinion for believers. This is not optional for those of us that come to church on Sunday morning. I'm saying this as a theological absolute. That those whose faith is in the Lord Jesus, Romans has been explaining that we are filled with the presence of God. And here in verse 15, Paul says that presence of God is going to overflow in the form of goodness and sharing an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that okay with you guys? Okay, good. Good, good, good. Two. <laughs> I think that's pretty okay, Britt. Verse two, number two. Here we go. An, an acceptable... Offering, an acceptable offering. Based on the previous statements of full and overflowing, Paul continues, and you're glad that I'm continuing. Even so, even so, because we are filled and overflowing, the goodness of God, understanding of his salvation, I have been bold enough, Paul says, to write about some of these points, knowing that all of you need this reminder. Um, that's fair. We need a reminder because, boy, we get distracted from what's going on in our spiritual lives with what's going on in our physical lives. So Paul says, knowing that all of you need this reminder, he's written about these things. For by God's grace, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. First, we just need a reminder from time to time that God is present in us, right? Somebody bought me uh, some socks and they have pickles on them. And you know what? Every time I wear those socks, I think of baptism. I think of the fullness of God in little old me. Isn't that cool? So now when you eat a pickle... I hope your brain is forever tainted with the thought of baptism. We need a reminder. We need a reminder of Romans 1 through chapters 1 through 11 of what salvation is to us. You see, I don't push soap or a daily reading, Bible reading plan just because I'm a pastor. I push soap because we need to be reminded of God's glorious grace every day. Second, Paul makes an issue of being a special messenger from Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Now, God has not sent any of us that I know of to be special messengers to the Gentiles. However, God has placed you among people who need to experience, not just here, they need to experience the overflow of God's goodness. People who need to hear the message of God's grace. Your family, your co-workers, your fellow students, all those people that you rub shoulders with on a regular basis, they are not in your life by chance. I believe with all of my heart that God put them next to you so when God's goodness and joy and peace and hope 
spill out of you, it lands on them. Brent, do you really believe God does that? Pretty sure that's what the text is telling us God does. We don't come to faith in Jesus and then hide the light of Jesus under a basket. There's a scripture about that. One day we'll stand before God and it will be revealed the people that we overflowed on. That should give you a mental picture that might not be comfortable. And I started to take that out of my notes and I'm like, nope, man, to stick with it. We will stand before God and it will be revealed the people that we overflowed on. It will be revealed who the Holy Spirit in us affected. And that, Paul says, is our offering, our gift to God that is an acceptable offering. That's cool, man. You see, the eternal contribution of your life is not how much you gave, how often you came to church, how many people are in our church, how many people came to your Bible study or your Sunday school class or who said amen on Sunday morning. <laughs> it won't be how many people you led in the sinner's prayer. The measure of your life is whether the people God placed in your life experienced the overflow of goodness and the good news of Jesus in you and through you. That's a whole different measuring stick, isn't it? Well, I thought I was just out there to pound them with my, my Bible and tell them to come to church. Oh, no, 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 no. You're there for them to experience God's goodness and God's good news in you and through you. Number three, enthusiastic. <laughs> Verse 17. So, Paul says, I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God, yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. They were convinced by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Jesus from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Now, these six verses encapsulate the mystery of our cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes we have this we get confused about where, where we start and where the Holy Spirit ends and what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. And uh, I grew up, and some of you did too, with the pastor banging on the pulpit saying, if you don't share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your neighbor and they go to hell, their blood is going to be on your hands. And I don't believe that at all. I think that's manipulative. They were, verse 19, they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through us. God is working through us. We have nothing at all to boast about 
ourselves. People come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by the power and the wonder of God's Holy Spirit. They see God's Holy Spirit working in us. God's Holy Spirit is working in them. And the light bulb flickers and comes on. And it's glorious. And you've been used as a vessel in the kingdom of God. We just let the good news of Jesus be, present, be presented fully. We just let the good news of Jesus be presented fully by our actions, our attitudes, and if it's necessary, our words. There's a little story that illustrates this. I haven't used it in a long time, but uh, once it's in my head, I don't stop using it because it's good. Some of you will remember me saying this before, but there was a little mouse sitting on an elephant's back. This is a true story, by the way. After crossing an old rickety jungle bridge, the mouse says to the elephant, boy, we sure shook that bridge. Okay, the three people that got it, good. I'll, I'll explain it second service. You and I are vessels, just little clay, somewhat broken, imperfect. We are vessels of God's grace. And by the nature of salvation that God is completing in us, he is in us, he is present in us, and it changes the world. And we get to say, wow, we sure rocked the world. Yeah. We can't help but be enthusiastic about people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and growing in their understanding of God's grace. By trusting in God, you become part of something much larger than yourself. Something much more eternal than yourself. From inside of your, fa your little frail, broken self, shines the eternal light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the entire world. The goodness of God spills over the edges of your soul and it splashes hope. Paul says a confident hope and joy and peace and goodness, and Jesus himself on those who desperately need him. Ministry to others is not a position. It is a possession. Came up with that this morning. It's pretty good. It's not a position. It's a possession. By faith, we are possessed, full and overflowing with the life-giving message of Jesus so that others might believe and have eternal life. That seems familiar. I get pretty enthusiastic about that. In fact, you know what? I would give my life to that message. That brings us to number four. You're looking at your notes. Here we go. We're almost done, Brent. Hallelujah. Romans 15, 20. My ambition, Paul says, my ambition. Number four, preach the good news. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard. Rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I'm going to interrupt this because there's a story on my mind 
Whenever I was in, in Waxahachie, Texas, I was going to a Bible school, and a whole bunch of us Bible school students, uh, we had gone to a park just to get out uh, away from campus, and we're on this park, and this girl walks up. She's eight, maybe ten years old. Uh, nothing particular about her. She just was a regular kid. She comes walking up, and of course, a whole bunch of Bible school students were going to ask her, where do you go to church? Do you know Jesus? And so we were talking back and forth, and one of the girls said, do you know the song, Jesus Loves Me? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You guys shake your head yes. Please shake your head yes. Um, Waxahachie is just south of Dallas. We are talking Bible Belt. That's where you go to church just because there's a church two doors down from you on both sides of your house. Bible Belt. You don't have to be a Christian. You just go to church because that's what everybody does on Sunday morning. Do you know the song, Jesus Loves You? And she says, no. That haunts my soul. Paul says, my ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. And our assumption is, well, everybody's heard about Jesus. No, they haven't. They haven't. He says, I've been following the plan spoken of the scriptures where it says, those who have, who have never heard, who have never been told about him, will see. Those who have never heard, who have never to been told, I'm going to get it right in a minute because I can't see because my contacts are turned because I'm crying. Those, right, this is why I have the, you know, the visually impaired iPad. <clears throat> When they make a bigger one, I'll get a bigger one. <clears throat> Those who have never been told about Jesus will see. Those who have never heard of him will understand. In fact, my visit to you has been delayed so long because I've been preaching in these places. Or, yeah, Paul's ministry strategy was to go where the good news of Jesus had never been preached before. To all those unchurched, unsaved those people that don't know the Christian way to, to talk and to address, those are the people he was going to go preach to. And somehow along the way, we, the church, have vilified those people who do not have faith in Jesus. Like people with leprosy, they have become untouchable and we intentionally avoid them. They're not like us. They think differently than us. They believe differently than us. They act differently than us. They speak differently than us. They don't have the same religious and political ideas as us, so we don't talk to them. Paul intentionally sought those people out so that he could give them the good news of Jesus so that they could have the opportunity to believe and be saved. It happens every once in a while here in the church. That's good that it happens every once in a while. After a church service or after a life group or a Bible study or whatever's going on here at the church, uh, someone will come and say uh, something to the effect of, I have never heard about God like this. I don't know, I didn't know that God was concerned about me or that salvation was meant for people like me because we, we typically present the gospel for those who are like us that are, you know, good people. Good people. 
People come, I'm being serious and I'm not just bragging on our church. I am bragging on our church, but not just for the sake of bragging, but to make the point that people come to Desert Heights and it's like, this is a church where I, I am not a church person. I don't know what soteriology is, but people make me feel welcome here and loved and they're kind to me. And then they hear the gospel. Why? Because we, we let them get close enough for the gospel to spill out on them. I'll tell you what gives me really great joy is when someone comes to church and they've already experienced the goodness and the grace of God because someone in our church overflowed on them. That's a cool story. The power of the gospel is not in a sermon preached on Sunday morning. I just messed with your theology, didn't I? The power of the gospel is not in a sermon preached on Sunday morning. The power of the gospel is when 200 people are consistently full and overflowing with the goodness and the grace of God in their marriages, in their church, in their community, when we're overflowing with joy and peace and hope, when families demonstrate the supernatural grace of God. I'm going to slow down. When marriages overflow with joy and peace and hope. Really, Brent? Can that happen? When two believers are together, it should be really overflowing. I know for all those in my marriage class, you're like, whatever, Brent. (laughs) When families demonstrate by their actions and their attitudes the supernatural grace of God and they get along together. When churches proclaim the good news of Jesus, not just in words, but also in behavior, then communities are transformed. Then the course of a country is changed. My challenge to you this morning is not to to go and be a powerhouse for the kingdom of God. My challenge is simply that you will actually believe. That you will trust God to set you free from sin. We're okay with that. And then fill you full and overflowing with his goodness. Yeah, he's going to transform your life. Because then I am convinced by the truth of God's word that the Holy Spirit in you will make a supernatural and eternal difference in the lives of the lives of those around you. But it begins with you and I believing first that God washes away our sins and fills us full of his goodness and his grace.